Hello and welcome to Access Chat. I'm really delighted that we've finally managed to persuade Cordelia McGee-Tubb to join us. We've been hunting down Cordelia for quite some time now. She's quite elusive. Um, in all seriousness, Cordelia is the Principal uh, Accessibility Engineer at Salesforce um, and it has been doing great stuff for quite some time in the accessibility arena, both in terms of technical writing and speaking, but also in finding ways to uh, make accessibility accessible in the broadest sense by uh, communicating about some of this stuff through the visual context and cartoons and so on. So I think that uh, you bring a, a really different perspective to accessibility. So I'm really delighted to have you with us. So can you tell us a little bit about more about you um, and also about how you got into accessibility in the first place? It'd be great. Absolutely. That was such a flattering introduction. Thank you, Neil. Um, yeah, I'm Cordelia. Um, hello from slightly gray San Francisco. Um, yeah, I, um, I, my path into accessibility, now that I reflect back on it, seems very linear. Um, I started, uh, I studied computer science in college, did not learn at all about accessibility. Um, so thank you Teach Access folks for, for helping sh change that, shift that. Um, so I studied computer science and also a lot of anthropology and I knew I wanted to do something with computers that impacted people in a positive way but I didn't know what so I started as a software developer after college and then I was like I actually hate working with databases this is really boring I want to work on UI so I started working as a UI developer um, building an HTML again not making it accessible because I didn't know what I was doing and now I look back on it I'm like my goodness that's some embarrassing code that I wrote but anyway did that for a little while and started learning about accessibility uh, kind of through two different sources. One was I was volunteering at the time, and I still do this, um, helping older adults learn technology and, and seeing how much people were struggling with uh, user interfaces that weren't designed with them in mind uh, was really like eye-opening for me of like, it's not that these users uh, don't know how to use technology, it's that this technology is creating these barriers for them. So started learning about accessibility in that sense. And then I also just like through total luck of, of the draw and life was sitting next to my company's accessibility specialist, um, Jesse Hausler, shout out to Jesse, who was like, oh, hey, could you build some accessibility prototypes for me? I wanna test out this concept, I wanna try out this. So I started building these actually accessible uh, HTML and JavaScript and learning a lot about accessibility and all of the benefits through that. And then it was just kind of like this light bulb of, I can't not do this. Now that I know about this, now that I understand the, 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 the power that this can have to like enable people um, to do their work and do like cool stuff with technology, I was like, I have to do accessibility. Like, this is the thing, there's no going back. Um, so that's kind of my journey into accessibility. It felt kind of meandering, but when I look back on it, I'm like, oh yeah, that totally, that all makes, totally makes sense. So that's how I got here. Excellent, and, and then, um, you know, I like the fact, particularly like the fact that you published these, 
code examples uh, and are you know sharing your work because I think that's really really important um, because most of the stuff that gets produced on on the internet and in the technology today is building on other people's work. We live in a copy paste culture. Um, so, so if you're putting something out there that people can copy and paste that's accessible, that's, that's super important. And in fact, I, I've used a couple of your examples uh, where people have gone, oh, we can't do that. And I'm going, hold on a sec. I think I can. Yeah, well, that, thank you, Cordelia. So, um, you know, we're, 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 you know thank you. that's why I'm super happy to, another reason why I'm super happy to have you on. I know Deborah's got a question, so I'm going to hand you over. Thank you. And thank you for being on the show. I, we got to see you live at the Funka conference a few years ago. And that was, was so fun. It was so fun. It's such a wonderful conference. Uh, shout out to Susanna. But Suzanne, I should say, and also Jesse Hausler. I used to work with Jesse Hausler when we no at Tech Access. Yes, he worked on my team for a while. We were with the um, we, we were working with Patent and Trademark, and that's when he, I believe, that was his first accessibility gig. And he was so clever and so smart and creative. And I was really happy for him when he went over to Salesforce. And that is so long ago, but that's well. I'll give a shout out for Jesse too. So that's exciting, but. Uh, there's so much I like about your work. I like that you are a woman that codes. You're very proud. You're a woman in technology, woman in STEM. I know. I love it. And I also did not realize that you were helping older adults. And I thought that's such a really good point you made that we, when we don't design with the, the user in mind and we don't design things accessibly, then we blame the user for being stupid. Well, you obviously are stupid because you can't use it. And that's just so ridiculous. And I was just wondering if you wouldn't mind expanding a little bit on why you think that's so important. Oh, absolutely. And like, it was, you know, it was mind boggling to me that like, I, and I've talked about this in a few other places, but um, that a lot of the people who are coming into this computer lab in the senior center, like used to program in Fortran and they were like the pretty, like pretty smart about technology. And then we're having trouble um, using like modern social networking websites. And so clearly it wasn't, you know, clearly it wasn't a problem with them. It was something about uh, the interfaces expectations of them, not kind of matching, um, matching the user. And so like, through I've been I've been working with seniors for the past gosh like seven or eight years um, and really learning a lot about how much like sadly how much technology is built by young people like myself for young people like myself um, and there really needs to be this greater focus like I think a lot of it is not just like the the like actual mechanics of being able to like double click on a website on something or, um, you know, uh, find a low contrast button, but also just like the general, the, the terminology that we're using on the web, uh, like send a friend request to someone. What is a friend request? What does that mean? And I, I think it's especially important right now uh, during this COVID-19 crisis because a lot of people are, everything that they're doing is moving online. And so if you are not familiar with this online world, if this world hasn't been built with you in mind, um, it's gonna be a really, really tough thing. Um, so I don't know if I totally answered your question, but you I did. really think that, and I really think that, oh, go ahead. 
Well, no, no, excuse me. You finish your thought and then I'm going to, I'll make a call. I really think like older adults, like we, so many of the services that they're using are moving online and we need to make sure that though that we're building them in a way that's easy for people to, to pick up, especially um, with so many older people living alone, there's a really large risk of, of social isolation. So all of these amazing tools that we have, like, like Zoom, for instance, for being able to connect with each other virtually, um, need more uh, attention to including these populations who are often left up. I agree. And I will say that um, one thing that I found just personally, and I'm, I'm 61 now, when I went from um, using my other computers to Macs and my iPhone, the iPad at first, this was years ago, but I was so confused. But my daughter with Down syndrome was able to help me. And then I remember my mom who is passed now. Um, my mom had very severe diabetes and she could not figure out how she couldn't swipe her iPhone on. And, and it's I really hard. Yeah. Couldn't do it. And I was like, Mom, all you do, and she couldn't do it because she didn't have the sensitivity of her fingers to do that. And she would, she wanted like pictures of grandbabies, and I would say, "Well, Mom, we we sent it to you on your phone," and she would get so mad at us appropriately because she's like, "I can't get my phone to open up." Mm -hmm. So she was extremely frustrated, and she thought it was definitely a big con conspiracy um, because she just really felt not. Included. And as you say, now that we, you know, have forced everybody home and we're forcing everybody to do things differently, we are leaving out large, large, large amounts of people. And so I just wanted to thank you for what you're doing, because I have seen it as well. It's, it's really, it, it attacks people's self-esteem. And, and like you said, it builds in the loneliness. And I know a friend of mine, I'll say this, and I know Antonio has a comment too, but a friend of mine's mom just died. She was in a nursing home in Virginia and they, she was socially, she was isolated to keep her safe appropriately, but it's gone on so long, she just sort of gave up. She, and so she didn't die of the COVID-19 virus, but she died just because she didn't understand why her family didn't come and see her anymore. And they, and they couldn't use the technology well. They, she couldn't figure out how to do the FaceTime. So she just gave up and she left. So that really is sad, but I don't know if you want to comment or Antonio, do you want to comment before we let her answer? No, is that many online services, they, they provide extra perks, uh, they provide savings, uh, they provide, you know, uh, and, and the fact that you are not able to uh, use them, it means that you are not able to take advantage of those savings, those extra perks, or, or even those services. Or sometimes just ask a question to someone that knows how to answer to a question. Because the way our customer services handle today, sometimes uh, when you do that to the traditional channels, you might reach someone that is not as informed as central customer services. So if services are accessible, it would benefit also people who might need that uh, considering the, the financial situation of that individual. So it, it basically blocks the person from benefiting that. Uh, and that's quite a shame. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I currently uh, tutor for this iPad program at a senior center, which is really awesome. Um, the older adults who participate, they get an iPad and a Fitbit 
and a digital scale and they learn how to use all these tools to kind of track their own health but also they learn how to use ipads to do all sorts of things from entertainment to to like very practical things and one of the more advanced students in the class she uses her ipad and her iphone to find all these deals to find you know like there's grocery stores have apps that have lots of coupons that are harder to find in magazines and she wants to like start a youtube channel or something where she teaches her peers about all these resources and i'm like yes you got to do it because it's these are undiscoverable um so i definitely i definitely agree there's so many cool things that are happening online and it really doesn't make sense for us to exclude a part of the population um which i know i'm preaching to the choir because we're talking about accessibility here um and i'll also mention to to deborah's point um around like the low self-esteem a lot of honestly a lot of the conversations that i have in these tutoring sessions is me just saying yeah this is hard for me as well and it's reassuring for the um the people i'm working with to know oh it's not that i um like incompetent or don't know how to do this it's it's actually it's actually a confusing experience um and and it's reassuring to know <laughs> that someone who like works in tech um who like spends all now i spend all of my time staring at a computer because i can't go out and socialize with people in the real world like that that even i am struggling with these things so i think it really you know normalizes that frustration and helps people see it's not me it's the it's the UI um, and uh, one of the greatest things that I love doing is just finding, helping people find these little hacks of like, how can this UI work for me? This UI doesn't work by default, but what can I do to make it work for me? Oh, if I do this, that, or the other thing, the secret little thing that I shouldn't have to do, I'm able to use this UI. Yeah, so that's, um, uh, it's great that you're, you're finding them and we need to find ways to share that. Um, I was just looking when you were talking um, about the cost of digital exclusion and, and so on, because the, the, the UK government's been pretty good at collecting data on this kind of stuff. And um, there's some good reports and they update them every year. They calculate that, um, you know, the, the average uh, online shopping has been found to be 13% cheaper. Right. So, wow. you know, that's a, a huge difference when you think about it over a year. So, you know, if you're saying you can't afford to be online, you're also paying additional penalties for not being able to afford to be online. And actually, if you start thinking about the poorest people in society who also tend to also have a lot of disabilities, they end up then quite often buying from these, buy, uh, you know, have now pay later stores that charge extortionate rates of interest. So it could be even more punitive. So, you know, giving people access is, is you know, really fundamentally important to enable them quality of life. Um, on the point, going back to sort of the UI design and, and it being difficult, I, I think this is really uh, something that I sometimes struggle to understand is why are designers making products that make people feel stupid? I mean, surely, you know, surely when you design a product, you want, the last thing you want to do is, you know, if you're a shopkeeper, you don't insult someone as they walk through your door. Yeah. You know, so so why is it okay in the digital world? Yeah. Why is it why is it right? 
it's it, not it, okay. Yeah. So, but why does it happen? Why do you think it happens? Do you think that's because we're all as as people that make the products too close to it, so that we we accept our design norms as being obvious when they're clearly not. I think that's one reason for sure. Actually, my my talk at Funka um, several years ago, where I met both of you, um, that talk was a lot about iconography and and how we use icons on the web. And one thing that I do think that that we and I'll include myself in this, like we we get too close to our designs. We like we pick an icon that looks cool and uh, that we think can that conveys what we think it conveys for instance i don't like just using a fun old example of the um the uh the floppy disk for save like that kind of made sense at the time i guess because people were using floppy disks but now if you think about that like that to those designers that felt like this is a ubiquitous symbol for save like everyone knows what this means um, and especially if you're looking at it every single day if you're iterating on that design every day you're like oh yeah i like obviously this icon means this, I see it, I see it every day. Um, so then reminding yourself, it's hard, like even if you are someone who cares a lot about diversity and inclusion, if you're just staring at something every day, it becomes normal to you. So it's hard to, um, it, it definitely is hard to get past that. So Neil, I think you kind of nailed it there of we're too close <laughs> to our designs. And that's why we need to do more user research. We need to have more diverse teams so that we're getting those different perspectives at the very design stages before it all becomes normal to us. Uh, Cordelia, I remember, um, you know, I just told, told my age, but many years ago, I was a programmer. And so I coded for six years and I got really good at it. And I will confess, I hated it hated it, hated it. Every day I hated it. I remember I was in the banking industry and I made a mistake one time and I accidentally, and all it was, was I used and instead of or in my code. Oh, no. <laughs> oh yeah. And I cut 25,000 checks um, that were sent to customers. And then the customer service reps, yeah. Around Christmas time, they had to work three weeks all of the customer service reps, this is a big bank, and um, to get that money back. <laughs> and, and some of the customer service reps are going, hey, thank you. You paid for my children's um, Christmas presents. But for some reason, my manager didn't think, was not thanking me. I, I'm surprised they didn't fire me, but it was such a little tiny mistake with such big consequences. So I really, really hated <laughs> that. I don't want my mistakes to be so big. But at the same time, I really am glad that I did it because it taught me so much about technology. But I think one thing that I love about your work is the cartoons and the way you make it a little bit more creative and fun accessibility because, you know, we were talking about this before we went on air, but, you know, a lot of people think of accessibility as like, oh, great, it's one more thing I have to do. But I love how you are making it, you know, cool and fun um, at the same time. And I was just wondering if you wouldn't mind talking about that a little bit. Yeah, I definitely think, unfortunately, there is a, a stigma against success. I, I feel like the, the tones are, are shifting uh, or the tides are shifting in the tech community. But for like the past 
I'd say like 10 years at least, like people have been like, oh, accessibility is a lot of like rules that are going to limit my design in some way, Lim like be extra engineering work. But I kind of tackle it in, in a few different ways. So on the design side, it's like a really cool opportunity to build flexibility. And I think like when we talk about, you know, designers favorite words, word is intuitive experience. Uh, like how can we make it a really um, intuitive, uh, experience for everyone and like talking about drag and drop uh, so Jesse and I worked on this on these code snippets um, that we posted online about how do you do accessible drag and drop and it's really about shifting the idea of like the, the, the purpose of the act of dragging something it's not to actually drag it with your mouse it's to move something from place A to place B so if you think about how can I move something from A to B and think about it that way, like stepping back to like, what is that core goal? There are all sorts of cool ways you could do that. You could drag it, you could use your arrow keys, which, which might be like a faster experience. If you think about like uh, in Photoshop, I think it's way like way more precise, for instance, to move things with my arrow keys than drag them. So like, if we think about it as like, what is the goal and what are all the different ways that someone could get there? Like, how can we provide like, empower users with choice like that's really cool so i like talking with designers about like giving users choice of how they want to interact with something and then on the engineering side i like i just try to get people really excited about it like whoa have you ever listened to your ui like do you know what it sounds like let's see what it sounds like let's let's like you know, try it out with a keyboard and like, whoa, look how much more efficient you can be at this UI with your keyboard. So there are things like that. And then, yeah, I use comics as well to just kind of make it more fun. Um, all of the talks that I do, I, I illustrate my slides because I want accessibility to be fun. I want people to be excited about it. And yes, it, it is like, there's a lot of work that goes into making something accessible, but that doesn't mean that it can't be enjoyable work. Yeah, um, and, and I think that also it's, the amount of work that goes in at the front end is, is significant, but you're saving a huge amount of work for other people at the other end, including your colleagues, right? So, yeah. so, so this is this is a interesting thing. Now, in, in large tech companies and development teams, you know, there is, has been a, a move from, you know, traditional methods of, you know, build something, ship it, start something else. Now it's DevOps and now you've got, you know, continuous agile development and even, you know, no ops coming, you know. In the, so how do we uh, engage with accessibility in that kind of environment? And, and even more so, how do we, do that user testing, user engagement that we, we've just talked about really needing in something that's so fast moving and iterative. Do you have any thoughts about how we could uh, you know, address some of that? Because I know you before. Yeah, so for sure, like moving it up in the process. So like, for instance, at Salesforce, the accessibility team, we are not embedded in engineering or quality engineering. We're embedded in the user experience group because accessibility is is user experience and then we get to have these these conversations really early on with designers about like how are we going to design this 
to be a really inclusive product. And then as implementation questions come up, like we have some sort of frame of reference. So I definitely think like that's one way to push it up in the cycle is just talking with designers, talking early on, and then providing, uh, you know, um, proactive training for people. So rather than having accessibility just be this checkpoint at the end of a release or the end of a project, uh, like we, we offer like training, uh, we do training sessions for every, at the start of every release so that people can learn about like everything from, from um, designing accessible UIs to testing them to um, building them and, and how to write good documentation around accessibility. Um, so definitely like just front loading all of that. So it isn't just like a check at the end, but something people are actively thinking about. And then, yeah, user research, it's, it's, it is interesting, like, how do you do that when you're in the process of developing uh, or designing a new UI? Like, on my team, we build a lot of little prototypes and uh, test them out ourselves um, because uh, we want to make sure that we're building things in the right way. Uh, but I know I was talking with... Um, I was talking with Mike Shabanik about uh, Apple's voiceover product. Um, and when voiceover was like a brand new thing, it was a brand new screen reader. Um, we talked about this on our, my podcast, 13 Letters. It was a brand new screen reader and Apple was trying to figure out how do we do user testing because we never tell people about our products before we release them. And they had to kind of break their rules and do usability testing early on and, and ship like a, a smaller version of their product to um, to get people's feedback early on, and that's what they had to do to make sure they were building this well. Um, so that's like one option people can do. Um, I also think it's really useful to just kind of build up relationships with with users or customers who um, uh, use your product, so that you can like check in with them when you're working on something new and get their thoughts. Uh, that's been pretty useful. And then another thing is just making sure that people are like compensated for their time. That's a really good point. I know that um, one of my colleagues, Lamondre Pugh, <clears throat> who's been on Access Chat, he, um, got, he got a new phone from Apple and um, he could not answer the phone himself. Um, using his assistive technology, but he loved everything about the phone. And I said to him, have you gone to Apple? Have you even gone out on Apple and said, hey, you know, I'd love, th this doesn't work. Do you have any hacks? And could, you, and, and he, they knew it was a known problem and they had said it was going to be fixed in the next um, edition or the next change. And, um, and so I said, you should, you should reach out to Apple and just let them know if they, you know, need any help, you know, that you're there because you love the product. And then of course, um, they wound up resolving the, the issue. But I think it's good for users that are having problems to, in a, in a nice way, you don't have to slam the brand, but in a nice way to reach out, I, I don't think, uh, I think, you know, we get more flies with honey, but I think you can do it in a way that he loved everything about the product, but he just, there was just this one little um, issue he was having. Well, there was a big issue, he couldn't answer his own phone, but 
it got resolved. And so I think users, we have the opportunity to reach out and let people know, I mean, let these brands know what we're experiencing, but I think we could do it in a way that's positive and helpful and understanding of the life cycle and all that stuff too. Yeah. And I definitely think, yeah, I'd encourage users to reach out because like, I know on, on my team, we're always, we're always like craving user feedback to just really understand, like, are we building the right thing for folks? And like one of my best days at work was, was I like drove up two hours to go, um, to go chat with a, with a user of my product um, who was blind and like, it was really helpful to actually just sit there right there with him and, and see what he was working on. Because like, especially with something like, like Salesforce or like Apple products, like some, they're so customizable, but sometimes it is a product issue that needs to be resolved, or sometimes it's, it's a matter of changing a setting or, or kind of rearranging things. Uh, like in Salesforce, for instance, we have uh, these page layouts that are highly customizable, and our team has found through talking with users through our own research that like there are particular, um, or like particular layouts of the pages that work best for, for users who are um, low, who are low vision or blind. Um, so like being able to get that information and then being able to share that with our users in a way that's like, hey, this is a good configuration that might work for you um, is really, really cool that we're able to do that. So yeah, I definitely, for other product people recommend like talking with, I know it sounds like really basic, but like talk with your users. And then for, um, uh, for users of products, if there's something that's bothering you about it, yeah, send a polite message. Um, Cause that also, I know speaking from experience, sometimes there are things that I wanna see changed in the product that I'm having trouble getting traction on. Um, so having the, this user feedback to point to and say, this is really impacting people and would really make their experience better um, is, is really helpful for, for me. Yeah, and see, it's not just me. Yeah, that, that, yeah. You know, yeah. The customer truth thing is really important. You know, when you're when you're having those discussions with people that are really not keen to make make a change. Um, so absolutely, you know, that kind of feedback from customers saying that this is impacting them is is important. It's also, I think, one of the powerful things where business groups that come together to talk about these things can also help so one of the one of the drivers and the, one of the things that kept me really interested in the business disability forum in the uk was the fact that there were this group of people from uh, a lot of different businesses all having the same problems so um what we were doing was we we clubbed together and, and there was one particular large database provider uh, of you know sort of ERP type systems where you know they had a, a bunch of people that would be saying oh no no it's all it's full fully accessible and and of course to a certain extent it's true out of the box but of course you know the the configurations make a difference but also they're saying oh well no one else has told us that there's a problem and so when you collectively go and you you know and we did a we the we the undersigned um kind of thing that has some power so um 
those kind of things start bringing about change and, and, and actually the people doing the accessibility in that company were welcoming of those kind of uh, quote unquote complaints um, because they were done in a, a way that was positive you know it's like you know this is affecting us we want to work with you not against you and you know we are your customers talking about this kind of stuff so I think the more that people can do this, the more they can do it through their supply chain, the, the better. And then I think, finally, I think Antonio's got a question before we close, um, because we're coming up to the end of our half hour. It's getting rather quick. Antonio, I'll hand over to you. Yeah. Often when we browse off the web, we go to multiple forums that relate with many sorts of products. And we often find a, a request that relates with accessibility that is lost in 2016, waiting for someone to go there and vote for that for that service to be implemented. We, we see this quite often all over the place. Sometimes we go on Twitter and, and someone is asking someone to vote for that. It's still something very frequent. Why is why do you think that that is still happening? Why are developers still asking people to go and vote for a, a feature? when that is just the right thing to do? I think it's just they've got large backlogs of, of a lot of different features and so they're trying to figure out how to prioritize them. Um, sadly, that's the truth of everyone's way busier than they, than they should be or want to be. Um, so it is really helpful to have people voting on, on things. And I think like another thing around the same topic around so we've been talking about how users can work with with companies but how companies can work with companies i would just like encourage folks who are working on accessibility who have gotten some sort of user feedback and figured out a new approach uh, that's really useful to like share that in a blog post or you know go speak at conferences about what you've worked on because i think if we across the industry can create consistent experiences for users like that's one of the greatest things we can do for accessibility and like one thing i love 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 about this community is that we do share information because we don't want someone to like go to one website and have a perfectly accessible experience and then go to another and it's awful like we want we want even if it's our competitors um to them to be accessible experiences as well so if you've figured something out, if you've gotten valuable user insight that's really shifted your product in a really positive way, like share that so that the rest of us can uh, benefit from it, but more importantly, um, provide consistent experiences for users. And it definitely helps if you can point within a company, if you can point and say like, well, these five other companies are doing it this way, uh, we should be doing it that way too, yeah. in addition to the user votes. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. There's, that, that's always quite a powerful argument to make. Thank you so much. It's, it's been a, a real pleasure. Thank and you. You, I need to thank uh, Barclays Access, MyClearText and Microlink for you know, keeping the lights on, keeping us accessible, supporting us over the years. Uh, we are really looking forward to you joining us on Tuesday for the Twitter chat. So thank you once again, Cordelia. Geek ah, I've done it all wrong. It's a, it's a big, Geek it's a big Hub. name. <laughs> oh, I just tripped over it. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you oh, so much. This is so fun to chat with you all. So, I'm so glad that I finally got to be 
uh, be part too. of it. So thank you for inviting me and have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you, Cordelia. Thank you.